where two almost adults talk about life in their 20s and what being a grown-up really means. I'm Annie. And I'm Cheyenne. In this week's episode, we wanted to talk about violence and racism along with our personal experience as Asian Americans. We think it's really important to speak up about these topics to raise awareness, educate, and provide a place of relatability to our listeners. Yeah, so before we start, um, let's have our usual, you know, life update, current obsessions. Um, so the weather has been very up and down, but when yeah, it's it very warm, I'm very happy. <laughs> or even if it's like sunny and it's cold, I'm still happy. Yeah. Um, and like classes are coming to an end, so I've been catching up on schoolwork. Um, yeah, what that, about you? That's been making me so sad. Like, I'm like, there's only three more weeks of the mm-hmm. semester, like... I'm so dramatic when I walk through campus now because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I might not be here anymore and it's just so sad and I'm getting like emotional like thinking about freshman year and like the times. I don't know. It's just like I've been thinking about it so much lately. You should make a video, like a compilation video. Like your one second a day. True, true. You can just find clips here and there. True. Um. But overall, yeah, it's just been good these past two weeks. I went on a fun hike, which was nice, Mm. but I've been really craving travel Mm. lately and just getting out of this place. I love Boston, but I didn't know I would be stuck here for like a year on end without leaving, and it's really hard, honestly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Maybe we could do like a weekend trip. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. I'm down. And this past weekend was Easter, so that was really fun. Mm-hmm. I was able to have some really good fellowship with my church friends, so that's nice. awesome. Yes. Yeah. Recently, I've been obsessed with going to cafes to do work. Um, last week, I went like two or three times in the week, and it was so nice because it was like so sunny, and it was really nice to just be outside. And like, I actually ran into a friend... Um, who used to go to school with me in Malaysia at the cafe and it was so crazy I was like this is insane like I was just thinking about her too but yeah and then I've also recently started going to spin class again um which is fun because they booked out the venue which is like a club so I've literally been to concerts there and it's just like this huge place and then they have like very limited um capacity so there's like 20 feet in between people like you can't even hear each other so it's pretty cool and it's like a concert vibe but you're on a bike so yeah <laughs> wait is it sad when you go with friends because like you can't see them because they're so far yeah away? you you can see them and you can kind of like laugh at each other but you can't really talk or like in a normal like you know how when we went we were yeah. kind of of like talking to each other and we're like oh my gosh like this is so hard but you can't really do that in this setting because it's literally like you're in a club and it's like busting music like blasting Mm. it but it's still fun because I feel like I get really into the zone with spin class anyway and then the fact that it's like so much more of a different environment and like you can get into the music a lot more um it's a lot of fun I feel like I'm gonna fly off the bike yeah every time I'm on it yeah one time I like almost fell off and I was like, ah, but yeah. Um, I've been really obsessed with freshly squeezed orange juice. Yeah. It's just so good. Yeah. I bought this, uh, orange juice squeezer thing on Amazon and it makes really fresh juice. It tastes so much better than out of a jar, Mm -hmm. 
Um, I actually bought oranges because I saw you like brought it back out. Or actually, I bought them before you brought out the orange squeezer. Um, and and then I was like, oh, yes, I want to make some orange juice now because it's like warm and it's like refreshing. Yeah. And then I ordered it from Imperfect Foods and they gave me two oranges. What? And I was like, okay. I mean, two oranges can make one juice. <laughs> yeah, like basically. That's so sad. <laughs> we should get it from Costco. Yeah. It's like so big and it's cheap. And it's so like high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been obsessed with making bread from scratch. Yeah. I woke up at like 9 a.m. today to make bread. Her bread is like crack. It's so the good. The only reason I wake up that early <laughs> to, to tend to my bread. It's so yummy. I ate some earlier for lunch with my um, other stuff. And it was just like I wanted to eat it all day. It was so good. And your honey butter. <laughs> Thank tastes you. Tastes like te- Texas Roadhouse butter. Thank you. So good. All right, so before we move on to the discussion, um, we definitely want to provide a trigger warning because, you know, we'll be discussing violence and racism in this episode, so Mm -hmm. please take care of yourself if you need to skip it, Um, but like Annie said earlier, this is a very important conversation to have, so that is why we wanted to feature a whole episode on this topic. Yeah, Um, the first kind of topic that we wanted to touch upon is just our background and our identity. Cheyenne, do you want to yeah. get started? Yeah, so, you know, we talked about where we grew up before, but yes. more in kind of a school setting and not so yes. much, like, the deeper stuff. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to dive in a little bit deeper this time. And so, of course, you know, I grew up from age 7 until 18 in Malaysia. And in Asia, and specifically in my school as well, it was so valued to be American or, like, white or westernized, you know? Like, I would say things like, oh, I'm not even Asian or, like, some of my like white friends, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you're like even more Asian than me. And it was like a joke, yeah. but low-key, it True. held value, you know what I mean? Like, And um, it was to the point where like my dance coach would say things like, or not even just her, like everyone around me would be like, oh, you're not really Asian. Because to us, like the term Asian meant like the book nerds who like stayed in the library. And it was just like this perpetuated stereotype that Asians have to be smart or nerdy, right? Yeah, basically saying, like, you're not the Asian stereotype, so you're not Asian. Exactly. Which is, like, not right. And, like, the problem was that, like, I found pride in that. I was like, yeah. Me too. Like, I am so not Asian. You know, it's kind of, like, messed up. But um, another thing that um, Annie and I talked about was how, like, the white kids were always cool or attractive like Mm -hmm. the minute there's a new kid and they're white it doesn't even matter what they look like it's like oh my gosh the cute boy or like the cute girl and it's like okay objectively they're not cute (laughs) you know what I mean but it's just because they're white that like they have this thing to them that makes them attractive Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that at the time um yeah and then just like envying the white kids families and they lived in like the gated neighborhoods and they had the elevator in their house and you know they're all like this community and it was kind of like you know suburbia and like valuing suburbia um it was kind of the same thing even though we were in like a huge bustling city like there's that vibe as well Another thing around the same topic is, like, colorism and, um, you know, the value of being Mm -hmm. uh, fair-skinned. And, like, I used to come back from, like, a school trip and my family would immediately comment and be like, oh, my gosh, you're so dark. Like, you know, it's comments like that. And, um, yeah, and then just, like, nuances of racism within Asian ethnicity and the, uh, the segregation between like East Asian and South Asian, um, a lot of those kind of details. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was like 
Uber drivers and you know over there it's Grab but it's the same thing it's a ride sharing app and they would immediately ask me where I'm from because of my American accent mm-hmm. they'd be like oh you're not from here right yeah or like same oh, um, same where are you from like where do you live and I'm like okay at this point I've lived here for 11 years like I my family is here like I am Malaysian but apparently I'm not Malaysian enough to be Malaysian but I'm also not American enough to be American so it's like I literally struggled so hard with that in freshman year and people asking me like where are you really from or um like yeah like just questioning every part of my ethnicity and my cultural background and I struggled a lot with it um yeah I used to be like super insecure to live in Vietnam because people would always comment that they'd be like oh where are you actually from like Mm -hmm. where are you from because you have an American accent yeah and like even down to the clothes that I wore were kind of more like yeah Americanized Mm -hmm. I guess and I would just stand out from the crowd like immediately and I always felt so self-conscious because I felt like I couldn't even belong to like my culture because of that yeah and I was always told that I'm like whitewashed Mm -hmm. like from people within my school and I'm like what does that even mean yeah like why can't why can't I like enjoy these things without still being Asian yeah um it was very confusing for me and it almost seemed like it was a good thing to Mm -hmm. be whitewashed Mm -hmm. it's like oh you you support like these American like mannerisms Mm -hmm. and clothes and culture and that's kind of sad especially because we lived in asia Mm -hmm. it's like why is this praised it's It's like almost like colonialism you know what i mean like oh you know they're more civilized and they're more like advanced so it's better to be like them than like more traditional or like more cultured which Mm -hmm. is like so messed up yeah and with what you said about colorism like my like my mom and like my cousins and stuff they would try to like buy white whitening cream Mm -hmm. for their skin um so that they would look more white like they hated looking tan Mm -hmm. um and just growing up around that I was just so confused I was like why do you have to like be that like this and they were like oh it's just prettier because of how it's depicted in the media mm-hmm. and also like the eyebrow shape like growing yeah. up I'm like I don't know how I want to get my eyebrows done and my mom's always like keep it looking like American like yeah. keep it fluffy like yeah. don't thin it out don't make it look like this mm. and yeah looks was a big thing mm-hmm. yeah 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 no I feel that I feel like it's crazy how much of our identity is shaped based on like values and like external values um Yeah, and, like, speaking about, you know, how my identities has formed over the last four years, like, now living in the U.S., I think, ironically, leaving Asia gave me more pride in being Asian and being from Malaysia, Um, and, you know, I didn't realize how much I took for granted when I was back home, and um, now that I'm fully immersed into an Asian community, I really want to cherish that and remember that because, Something that someone said recently that kind of gave me a reality check was like, we're not going to be in these communities anymore after we graduate, right? Like, we're going to be in the workforce, we're going to be wherever we move to, and we're not going to have, like, the Pan-Asian cultural clubs or, like, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, So, yeah, and I think um, I've realized that over the years, my identity has formed about, like, just fundamentally being Asian and I realized that at my first co-op when 
most of my team is not Asian. Actually, all of my team was not Asian. And I was like, do I talk about anything else? Like, it seemed that all I had to talk about was, like, my culture, my background, or, like, Asian food, or, like, Asian something. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh, like, do I have a personality, or am I just, like, Asia? But I think I came to realize as well that, like, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I think the reason I was uncomfortable was because I thought there was something wrong, that that's all I could talk about. But really, I understood that it just means that I'm proud of my heritage and that I'm proud of, like, my background. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should be celebrated rather than make someone uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. I think in college, I've become more comfortable with myself as an Asian. I wouldn't really call myself Asian-American because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up here or I have no, like, associ- association with being American. Um, and... I, I feel like I relate to people a lot more because in high school, I didn't really have many Asian friends, which is also, like, sad because yeah. it's, like, I grew up in Asia, mm-hmm. but most of my friends were from, like, international, like, mm-hmm. they were from different countries, and so now the majority of my friends are Asian, yeah. and so it's really weird to be able to relate to mm-hmm. the people you talk to, and I've been starting to think, like, you know, we do have, like, such a close bond and because we relate to each other on like Mm -hmm. a cultural level um and in like a lot more other levels which we'll talk about later um but yeah I think I've become a lot more proud of who I am and where I'm from growing up I was made up like people made fun of me a lot for being from Vietnam and China Mm. like from being two different countries yeah and Although they're both Asian, those two countries have, like, a big rivalry between each other for years already. And people used to always make fun of me Mm -hmm. for it for some reason. Um, And I always used to be kind of, like, ashamed of being Mm -hmm. from two countries. I'm like, oh, I so wish I was just from, like, America. I don't have to explain myself and all these things. Life would be so much easier. Um, So, yeah, we can move into, like, talking about, unfortunately, the microaggressions and racist acts that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said earlier, I think my first reality check that I'm a minority was at my first co-op. And, you know, like you said, we were, even though we were in Asia, we kind of, I also surrounded myself with, like, not all Asians. And then coming here and having the complete opposite and being completely surrounded by Asians it was like a culture shock moving into the corporate environment and like I was the only Asian and I was one of maybe three um, people of color on my entire floor, not even in my department, just like my entire floor. Um, And yeah, and I realized, you know, I I felt really isolated and I'd never felt like that before. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of scary, not kind of, it was really scary. I was like, I don't really know who I am right now, but... Yeah, and then other instances, like, I used to dog walk a lot, so I was on the streets a lot, um, and literally every single day, someone would say to me or scream to me, like, ni hao, um, and it's, like, what gives them the entitlement that they can approach us like that? It's so annoying. It's so annoying, and it's, like, yeah, I am Chinese, but they say it to my Korean friends. They say it to my Japanese friends. It's so racist. It's so racist. It's, like, putting us in a box, and it's annoying because a lot of the times it'll also be followed up with like oh like I know how to say this and then they'll say some generic like Chinese dish and I'm like congratulations you can order American Chinese food 
good job actually and it's just like what even is that um people are just uneducated yeah and it's just like disgusting I don't know yeah another experience that I had um was after a so we had dinner with another chapter of Kappa's UMass and um we were at Chinatown and we all wanted to get boba after so there's a pretty large group of us maybe 10 to 12 of us and we were waiting to cross the street and um this guy who was also another person of color he also had like a foreign accent and the reason I say that you'll see but he says oh get out of the street this isn't China and it's like clearly his intention is that we don't belong here yeah but if that's his logic then he doesn't belong here either you know which is why I brought up that he was also a person of color that he also had an accent like you can't use that logic and then say that he belongs here more than we do Mm -hmm. and it was just like enraging and all of us were like so heated and we all went to boba and we were like screaming and we're like what just happened like oh my god and it was just like it made us feel so like gross like it felt so felt really jarring um and yeah and then Another thing that um, I think you also mentioned um, with, like, airports and one time, like, a guy stopped me at the TSA check because he, I guess, clearly knew I was an international student based on my appearance, which kind of makes sense because I had, like, two suitcases and I was just one person. But anyway, (laughs) whatever. Um, And he, like, basically interrogated me about what food I had because during that time I don't know if it's still going on but you can't bring you at that time you couldn't bring anything with chicken essence because it was believed to have like um, bird flu in it okay yeah so you couldn't bring anything with like chicken powder Mm -hmm. or chicken like flavor any of that so a lot of that is like instant noodles there's a lot of instant noodles with chicken powder so he literally like stopped me and he was like you have instant noodles I know it and I was like what okay last time you confiscated all my food so I didn't bring a single packet of food this Mm -hmm. time because I know and he's like are you sure are you sure because if you if they find it you'll be paying $300 as a fine and I was like so threatening yeah and I was like I'll pay $300 yeah and I was like okay firstly I don't have it secondly like I will pay if they find it, which they won't. And, like, why are you being so aggressive? Like, there's no reason. I know. The people at TSA are so aggressive for no reason. Yeah, and I'm like, you're just out to get me. Like, I don't understand. No, they have a power trip, (laughs) I swear. Yeah. And, like, I touched on this briefly before, but just the question, like, where are you really from? Or not even where are you really from, just where are you from to us? You know, like, I guess it's different for us because we are, like, international, like, us meaning Annie and Cheyenne but when Asian Americans or Asians in America are asked where are you from it Mm -hmm. comes with the implication that we're not from here yep you know what I mean and it's like that's not fair to say because most a lot of these people are like fifth or sixth generation Americans and it's like I'm from Boston Massachusetts like I'm from California like why is that so hard to accept and it's because clearly like even in this day and age the picture of American is still white, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, like, insane that we still have to prove to whoever is asking that we are from here or we are, like, you know? And I think a lot of that came from, specifically in my case, came from my childhood, you know, best friend that I talked about in the other episode. And she literally refused to believe that I was American. And at that point, I had lived my entire life in America. 
I had never been to China. And she was like, you are from China. And I was like, where's my Chinese passport? Where, when did I live in China? Like, yeah, I've what? never even visited China. I was seven years old. And she was like, no, you're not America. You're not American. Like, you're fake American. And I feel like so that stupid. kind of led to the whole thing we just talked about with, like, rejecting my Chinese culture mm-hmm. and embracing how Americanized I was. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we had this thing called International Fest, and it was meant to celebrate your culture and your yeah. background. What did I wear? I wore a shirt with an American flag. I didn't wear a Chinese, like, yeah. chung sum. Me too. Right? I did that too like, yeah. when I was a kid. I wore, like, cultural stuff, I think, like a Chinese mm-hmm. dress or a Vietnamese mm-hmm. um, alzai, but I was always embarrassed to wear it. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, but another thing I was thinking of is, like, I don't know if you think this, but I think it shocks me when people are surprised when I say that I'm not from the U.S. Mm. Like, why is that surprising? Yeah. Like, people are like, oh, where are you from? Like, are you from California? And I'm like, no, I'm from Vietnam. Yeah. They're like, whoa. Yeah. No, like, I get that, that too. Shocking? I get that too. Like, not everyone from America is yeah. from, like, America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. It's like, in Asia, people are like, oh, you're not from here. You're from America. But then when you're here, it's like, you get kind of like both situations where people are like, either you're also not from here or yeah. they're like, it becomes a novelty and a spectacle mm-hmm. that you're an international student. And, you know, like we talked about in our last cultural episode, like, yeah, it's always great to have these conversations. But I think there's a difference between like genuinely wanting to learn versus like creating a spectacle out of mm-hmm. our culture. Yeah. You know, and like that ties into cultural appropriation and like all of that stuff. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> My biggest reality check was when I first came to America at the border mm-hmm. at the airport. Before I even stepped foot in the country, mm-hmm. I already felt unwelcome. Mm. Um, the fact that I understand why the immigration is divided, like you're a citizen yeah. and you're not. But I think that the minute you walk into that non-citizen mm-hmm. line, you're being targeted yeah. like for something. Um, they always do random checks. Yeah. But the random checks are always like Chinese people mm-hmm. that they pull over. And when they talk to them, they treat them like kids, yeah. like they're children. Yeah, they treat you like you're dumb. Like yeah, like you're, you're stupid. dumb. And this happened to my dad because we all have Hong Kong citizenship. Mm-hmm. So we have Hong Kong passports. And so once they see that, they are already like suspicious yeah. for some reason. Um, and this officer like pulled me over, me and my dad and my family over for this random check. And I was like 12. Yeah. So like I can't form like like mature sentences Mm -hmm. to explain like what's going on Mm -hmm. again especially being the translator is so stressful like between your parents and the police officer and they basically pulled us over and asks how much money we're bringing Mm -hmm. in cash over to the country and you're only allowed to bring ten thousand dollars in cash and if you bring more you have to fill out a form which we'll happily do there's no problem with filling out a form but my dad was like oh i don't want to like waste our time by filling out a form so i'll just bring under a little under 10k so that we could go over 
And so we brought like 9.5K or something, like mm-hmm. all of us together. Mm-hmm. And we got there and they're like, this is so close to $10,000. Like, why would you, why would you put 9,500? Oh and officer was like, you know, do you understand that if it's $10,000, you have to fill in this form? Like talking to my dad, like he's dumb. Yeah. And my mom and dad were getting so mad. Yeah. They were like, yes, we understand. And they kept talking to us, like, look, like almost like looking down yeah. upon us. Um, then they made us pull out all our cash and count it in front of him, which is, like, so embarrassing. That's so degrading. Like, why? Yeah. So degrading. Um, we literally had the exact amount we yeah. counted. And then he's like, okay, like, I'm sorry. You can have, like, have a good vacation. And oh then they put gosh. a permanent mark in our record for what? no reason. And so now everywhere my dad goes, he gets pulled over because of that That's mark. That's ridiculous. Even though it wasn't our fault. It literally had no reason. You were, like perfectly in regulation i know and now wow that is messed up it's just so sad and every time i go across the border it scares me because i feel like they're just intentionally trying to pull something out of me um and it's just scary i always get so much anxiety there yeah and yeah that was my biggest reality check that coming Mm -hmm. to the u.s i don't even feel welcome here and i've been thinking a lot about my future and where i want to live yeah and like i don't know if the u.s is like where i want to be i just don't feel welcome no i agree yeah kind of similar like so my mom used to have a green card and even though technically like after we moved away from america yeah we were kind of like treating the system a little bit because we didn't live here but every single time even before that, even when we would go on vacation and we'd come back from Malaysia from vacation, I just like have this negative association with immigration, even though I'm a citizen, my dad became a citizen and my mom was the only one who was non-citizen and had a green card. But just because she had a green card, every time we went to the immigration place, it was an interrogation as well. It was like, where were you traveling? What were you doing there? Why did you spend so long away? And like at that point, it was like a vacation. Yeah. And yeah, it would be like one month maybe because we're visiting our family across Mm -hmm. the world. But they literally just had no empathy and no regard for our situation. And it's not even like they tried to put themselves in our shoes and they couldn't. It was like they don't even try to do that. Yeah, they don't. And, you know, eventually my mom gave up her green card because she realized it wasn't worth, like, the hassle and the stress Mm -hmm. and cost of having to travel to the U.S. every six months. But it really just was, like, every time, even now that I go to the immigration, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, me too. And, like, I'm not even going to the foreign line. Like, I'm not even going to the Mm -hmm. non-citizen line. I'm going to the citizen line. And I feel like I'm in trouble And it's, like, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, the thing about these, like, racist experiences and microaggressions is that I've forgotten a lot of them. And that saddens me because it shows me that I just brush them off Mm -hmm. and they don't hurt. Like, maybe they hurt me subconsciously, but they just don't impact me to the point where I'm, like, thinking about Mm -hmm. it anymore. And that sucks. desensitized. Yeah. Desensitized. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's, like... Like you said, I think while these instances are very, like, small, so to speak, it doesn't mean that they don't have a big impact, you know? Like, I think even though we didn't get hurt, thankfully, and we didn't, you know, we didn't have to face violence or, um, you know, aggression at all, it's still, like, 
it impacts us as people and plays into the way we develop later and our identities forming later. Um, and I think that's the most important thing to understand because a lot of people think like, oh, I can just make a joke here and there and it doesn't matter. It won't hurt anyone. Like everyone around me is laughing as well. But sometimes it's like you have to laugh along in order to not get more hurt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes if you interject into the conversation, it's harder to, you know, heal from it mm-hmm. than just accepting it and moving on yep. and laughing along with them. Yeah. So I think if there's like one thing that, you know, the listeners take away is like just be cognizant of that and be careful with what type of jokes you say, what comments you're making, even in a casual setting because yeah. it has a lot bigger impact than you might think. I honestly just stop joking about where you're from. Like, yeah, I just stop. exactly. Like, it's not funny yeah. and like it can affect people a lot. Yeah. So on a bigger scale, like aside from our personal lives and our stories, we wanted to discuss the ways in which racism is apparent Mm -hmm. nationally and globally, especially in the past year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with my parents, they've definitely been affected with their restaurants, Mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning with COVID. um, There's been a lot of associations with it, starting with in China. Mm -hmm. And I think what pisses me off is like, I don't know if it actually came from a bat. Yeah, I don't... Like, did it? I don't think so. (laughs) And people keep, like, bringing that up and, like, joking about it and, like, making it so, like, like, disgusting that a Chinese person would eat a bat and, like, maybe that's not the most appetizing thing, but I think it's just, like, rude to, like, bring down someone's culture Mm -hmm. and what they eat and be like, that's the cause of COVID and you caused all these deaths Mm -hmm. in this country. Yeah. Um, And that kind of association has brought a lot of like Chinese and Asian mm-hmm. restaurants to run out of funding, run out yep. of money. People just stop going there because, which does not make any sense, Yeah, um, which is so sad. My parents were so worried for me mm-hmm. when I was in the U.S. because yeah, they were like, oh, like stay at home. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to be attacked. And mm-hmm. that saddens me. My parents yeah. shouldn't be like worried about me being attacked Mm -hmm. from across the world exactly yeah exactly no even with the food stuff it's like asian cultures are always the ones who are pinpointed they're always the ones who are like oh my gosh i can't believe chinese people eat dogs like i can't believe chinese people eat this like why can't you believe it and it's like no it's like not even that but it's like the amount of weird things european people eat yeah and we never hear about that like True. snails like french people like i don't like escargot like, yeah. like what but like people are always like oh my gosh chinese people like eat cats and dogs and yeah. it's like okay well perhaps globally and geographically like they had to during whatever time that they were in it's like people don't bother to think about the cultural background and like not to say that eating dogs is okay i'm like the biggest dog lover of the world mm-hmm. and like i would never yeah but to illustrate the point that Asian cultures are always the ones who are pinpointed as disgusting and weird. Yeah. And, like, even with South Asian cultures. And it's not even, like, with the weird stuff. I feel like people have an aversion to Indian food just because it's Indian food. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so apparent that these food preferences are racially charged and not actually about, like, the food itself. Yeah. So true. So true. Yeah. And even with, like, the beginning of COVID, you know it was always racialized. China was blamed. And 
um, when it started, we were just coming back from spring break and we went to Punta Cana and luckily, you know, like it was at the beginning, it hadn't spread to America yet um, and we were still pretty safe. But because like in Asian culture, wearing a mask is like pretty common, we pretty much jumped on that as soon as we could, right? And even before that, like when we were coming back in the airport, people would just stare at us. Like Mm. we walked through the airport and they were watching us they gave us a side eye when we were like wiping down the airplane seat because we wanted to be safe and it was like all of our actions are showing that we're trying to be safe and yet we're being judged just because we look Asian Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like our appearance is East Asian so people are like oh they have COVID and that's why they're like cleaning up which logically doesn't make any sense the full (laughs) logic behind it just doesn't make any sense Mm -mm. I I feel like people just don't think through their thoughts like I don't know is it being uneducated like I'm just confused I don't know and like how someone comes to that conclusion and literally I heard from family friends like in Boston as well that he went to work so he would take the bus to work Mm -hmm. and it was so sad that this kid was like maybe 16 and he's going to you know work for his family restaurant and he was making jokes like oh you know like it's actually great I can see the silver lining because I get a whole bus to myself because Mm -hmm. people don't want to get on the bus because I'm on the bus like how messed up is that that a 16 year old kid has to make light in a situation where literally he's being like shunned from Mm -hmm. society and he's being avoided by people because he's Chinese like that is so messed Mm -hmm. up yeah yeah along the lines of this we kind of wanted to talk about the Atlanta shooting Mm -hmm. a little bit and just the overall hate yeah um, that's been occurring within our community yeah yeah how did you feel when you first heard about it honestly like I feel horrible Mm -hmm. that I felt this but genuinely when I first saw it on like my Instagram timeline Mm -hmm. or something I did not think it was going to be a big deal. I didn't think it would be a big deal either. Right? Like, But then, like, it was on the front page of New York yeah. Times. And so I don't know why I didn't think of it as a big deal. Because if it's in the front page, yeah. it means that it is. But I don't know. On. I think it's just, like, like what we said earlier. It's, like, being desensitized mm-hmm. to the violence. You know, like, I thought it was just going to be, like, you know, an isolated incident where, you know, we know about it because we're in the community, but I didn't realize how much it, like, was going to blow up across the country, across the world. And, you know, of course, it's in a circumstance of violence and death and, like, very sad things, but I think it actually gave me hope that, you know, the whole world was paying attention because I literally thought it was just going to be one of those brush-under-the-rug type things. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, but yeah, and then another thing that I felt was, like, I was really angry that the shooter was being shown, his face, his name, his story that he had a bad day, that was what was being shared Mm -hmm. and spread, and the victim's names wasn't even found out until days later, you know, and it's, like, the glorification of this shooter, and, um, something, I was watching a video and something that they mentioned that I never really thought about is, like, you know, of course, if you're shooting people, like, you're definitely not mentally all there, but sometimes people do this with the intention of becoming infamous, Mm -hmm. so the YouTube video I was watching was, like, we intentionally do not show the shooters or the perpetrators because of 
the um, possibility that they're doing this for fame. Definitely. So we don't want to give them that platform, which I respect a lot. And I really wish more people would do that. Yeah. And, like, you know, after all of this, literally today, like, if I see an old Asian person on the street, Mm -hmm. I get scared. I'm like, are they okay? Yeah. Do I need to help them get home? Me too, me too. Like, are they going to be all right on the street? I, like, literally say prayer to that person because I'm like – I really hope they walk home safe today. Mm -hmm. It just scares me. And it's so sad. And it's like, I'm not necessarily scared for myself. I'm scared that like the people around me are not safe. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm so grateful that my parents are Mm -hmm. not here and they're in Asia because I'm like, I don't even want them to visit me anytime soon because I'm like, I don't want you to be in danger. Even Mm -hmm. though nothing has happened in Boston and like so far it's been pretty okay, like where we are, it's still like you never know. There could be a fluke incident and it could be someone we know. It could be us. Exactly. And it's just like the fear of that is like it takes over, you know, and it's like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the way that the New York Times reported it was poor, Mm. um, which is why I think a lot of people got pissed off. Yeah. Um, But I also understand where the news outlet is coming from Mm -hmm. because it's like a literal split second decision when it happens, who's writing it, who's reporting it. It's so fast. And it's really hard to get the right people to do it because I feel like you need to be very careful with your words, which I'm surprised like New York Times doesn't Mm -hmm. have their stuff together yet. Like they are like the number one news media outlet and they still like can't get these things right. Um, But yeah, I was very annoyed at how they mentioned that it could have been targeted. It like literally was Mm -hmm. but I get it like they don't want to be biased um so like what do you think about that yeah no I think it's it's ridiculous because it's like I think it's not only on the news reporters either it's also on the way that the police dealt with it like Mm -hmm. the department in Mm -hmm. Atlanta you know like the way they said like oh we can't fully say that it was targeted but in the reports it also says that he drove 40 minutes between spas to target these people right yeah and it's just like I think it's not necessarily 100% on the news outlet because this is what they're getting from the police Mm -hmm. report right and it's just ridiculous that you know the police report is the one that's saying this Mm -hmm. and um kind of off topic but similar we were talking about the George Floyd trial in Mm -hmm. class and my professor was like oh yeah at this point they're trying to demonstrate that the police did everything according to the system Mm -hmm. and he was like that's the exact problem yeah the system is so messed up that yeah maybe they did do everything according to the system but a man died you know and like maybe yeah in Atlanta they might be doing everything according to the system but they're humanizing and sympathizing with the person who killed eight people Mm -hmm. you know how is that a good system And, like, it just brings the, like, notion of trust. Like, Mm -hmm. I just can't trust cops anymore. And they're supposed to be protecting us. So it's so scary. Like, I think about if I'm in this situation, what do I do? Like, I call the cops, what will happen Mm -hmm. to me? You know? It's so scary. And it's like, if you call the cops, like, I, I think before this, I didn't fully understand the fear of trusting police yeah you know like you know with all blm stuff and i'm very vocal about that Mm -hmm. but i never truly felt the fear Mm -hmm. until recently yeah me too and i was like 
I could be the one who gets in trouble when yep. I call the exactly. authorities. You know what I mean? And it's like, it was. it is clear to me now, especially with the case in, I think it was San Francisco, mm-hmm. where the grandma like beat up the guy right. who was attacking her yeah. and, and she was her. the one who got wheeled out in right. the paramedics and she went home mm-hmm. and I saw the video from I think it was her daughter or granddaughter and she is like in pain she can't see and she has no medical attention you know and it's like crazy how she was literally the victim in that situation and she was not the one who was assisted yeah. so yeah so just so tragic and mm-hmm. so sad and it feels like I don't know what I can do to change it. Yeah. That's the saddest part. Yeah. I think it's hard because, you know, we'll touch on this in our mini life hack too, but at this point in time, the only thing we can do is protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going into like um, methods of activism and stuff, yeah, we can raise awareness and we can do things, but we're not going to change our country in a split second. Mm-hmm. So it's really just like, figuring out methods to protect ourselves and protect each other until things get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of on that note, um, what what have you done to process? Or like, how did you process this situation? And, you know, what what are you thinking about in terms of, you know, how to move forward? Yeah. I think I talked with my therapist a little bit, but with social media, it gives you no time to process anything. Yes. Like, they push so much out in front of you. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I appreciate these educational tools and being informed so quickly. But you also don't have time to process what's going on Mm -hmm. and who to believe and who to... Like, like, I don't have time to form my own opinion. I think that's the problem. Like, people tend to just go with what the majority says is right. And although sometimes that's true, I think I've become a lot more, like, increasingly annoyed with people. Like justice warrior type figures that love to constantly complain and act like they care about a topic but they really just do it all for show Mm -hmm. kind of like basically performative activism and honestly a lot of influencers lately have been annoying me Mm -hmm. because of this and I've been really disappointed with popular influencers I follow that I truly like like follow for their content and who they are Mm -hmm. and the way that they have handled the situation by kind of ignoring it and acting like it's not their responsibility. Mm -hmm. But me and Cheyenne kind of talked about how as a public figure, choosing that as your job, you have chosen a responsibility to make a statement and address your followers. Like people say that, oh, I don't want my platform to be like... Politicized. Yeah, politicized or controversial like controversial but if people are following you for you as a brand Mm -hmm. it's very important to be vocal about like what your identity and brand is yeah I think I struggled with this a lot during the summer and like during BLM because like you said it's literally non-stop it it is very exhausting and it's hard to like kind of understand where you are with it because like you said, a lot of celebrities and influencers have taken the stance that, you know, oh, I don't know enough about the topic or I don't like it's not my responsibility or I'm not part of the racial group to speak up about Mm it. But it's like then it's your chance to use your privilege to elevate us and elevate the communities that do not have a voice, you know, and it's like not knowing enough is not an excuse. Mm -hmm. At this point, information is accessible in points seconds you know Mm -hmm. like not even a second 
like half a second Mm -hmm. and there's no excuse to say like oh I don't know you know like okay then learn like it's your job to learn and then use your platform for good because and even with the comment about like politicizing their feed it's like at this point this is not politics this is human rights right this is people in our country are being treated as Mm non-humans and if you think that's political that's your problem Mm -hmm. like then there's something wrong with the way your brain works because how can you see that as something that's political you know Right. Um, and I think another thing that is hard is like talking about social media and its effectiveness. Like, yeah, we're talking about influencers not taking a stance, but I think there's also um, a level of conversation to be had about like how they do or how even we do. Um, and I think it's like hard to say because everyone uses social media so differently. You know, like, I personally look at um, stories a lot, and I look at the posts that people are sharing, and then I click those posts, and I read through them. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that's, like, too much work for someone, which I understand. It's a lot of clicks. But it's hard to say, like, oh, there's one right way or one wrong way to do it. Um, And... I think really like it's just been a journey for me personally to accept that this is my form of activism and I find use in it and you know like for example like I save it to my highlights and I often go back and look at those again and I'm like oh yeah what was I reading again Mm -hmm. I want to like research it more but that's not for everyone Mm -hmm. so I think part of this conversation is really just like how you want to go about it personally and how you're going to make an impact in your personal circle. Yeah, I think, like, the biggest thing for influencers is at least state what you're doing. Like, I feel uncomfortable consuming their content and sponsorships knowing that they haven't addressed this Mm -hmm. huge problem. It's, Mm -hmm. like, ignoring the elephant in the room. Yes, exactly. Which sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I've been really thinking of is, like, I really do think gun laws in America need to change. It just, like, why is America the only country where guns are allowed? Yeah, it doesn't it's make ridiculous. sense to me. And yet we have, and we also have the highest, like, guns shooting I know. statistics, so. Like, in high school, I didn't have to learn, like, lockdown procedures. Mm-hmm. Like, it is so sad. Kids yeah. here have to fear that a school shooter will come. Mm-hmm. Like, that is just not okay. Yeah. And. You know what's interesting? Yeah. I did have lockdown drills in well, Malaysia. Really? And I think it's because, like my school was like American based even though we did the IB which is like from Switzerland or whatever but like the general format was American and so we still had lockdown drills Mm. even though there was no such thing as like a school shooting in Malaysia could you get like guns there like down like I don't think so like in Vietnam there was no way you could get a gun yeah (laughs) so I don't think so there are gangs but like it was more like fist fights and knives same same yeah that's interesting Yeah. yeah Um, but yeah, I've never had to fear for my life. Like, fear meaning that someone will shoot me. Like, I thought that was something I saw in movies, Mm -hmm. not in something that would happen in my real life. Mm -hmm. And the sad part to me is, like, noticing how my behavior changes. Yeah. Like, how I'm so hyper alert. Like, if I'm at the movie theater, I'm checking if someone's gonna come in to shoot me. Um, I'm always looking at people's hands and Mm -hmm. pockets and what they're holding. Like, while I'm walking down the mm-hmm. street at night, like just being super hyper vigilant, yeah. and it's so exhausting. I think yeah. it comes from my anxiety as well. No, it's not. And anxi- I think no, it's you like don't think so? it's literally firstly being a woman, true, and like being conditioned in this country to be 
hyper aware and yeah. yeah maybe anxiety makes you even more so but I do all those things too yeah. and like literally growing up like I don't know maybe again it's because my school was so like American based or even like living in America and having those values and stuff like I've always been like that literally like I, n- I don't think I've ever worn both of my headphones at mm-hmm. once outside you know like stuff like that like it's just how we've been conditioned to live and it's so sad like you know I said earlier at this point we have to protect ourselves but it's like why is that the thing we have to do and like with what happened with Breonna Taylor just shows you can't even be safe in your own house yeah where where is where can you go that's safe it's so sad yeah 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 no I totally agree with all of that I think in terms of like actually processing this situation um and not only this situation anything with like grief or hardship I'm a very task focused person so the first thing I thought of like you know I'm the president of Kappa's here and my first thought was like okay what kind of statement do we make you know like even though we're not an influencer we still do have a platform and we are looked up to by a lot of younger girls in our community so it's important to me and important to us that we said something about it because it's a big deal. So that was the first thing I focused on. Um, And I did not have a chance to like understand and process what was going on. And I realized that a few days later, like I could not do anything that I had to do. Mm -hmm. Like I just felt so lethargic towards anything except for this situation. All I wanted to do was like make things right. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't. You know, like, all I wanted to do was find resources. I wanted to post more posts. I wanted to share things on my story. And it's just, like, no matter how many things I share, the problem is not solved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I felt, like, powerless because I'm so task-oriented. I'm like, okay, I can take it off my checklist. I can, like, say that I accomplished this. But with these things, I can't finish it, you know, like, so to speak. I can't complete the task. And I think that's what made me so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it, like, hit me all at once. And I feel like I'm still struggling to take time to process it because there's just so many things that I have to do, right? And this is the first time that, like, my schoolwork was actually affected by kind of, like, external factors and, like, emotional factors because I was so unable to, like, move and like do anything that I literally just couldn't get some of my tasks done Mm -hmm. and it was the first time I had to ask for an extension and I was like damn (laughs) like this is pretty intense um but yeah I've also attended a couple healing spaces um I attended one with um the Chinese Student Association and a cultural fraternity Pi Delta Psi and I think that was really nice because I was able to express myself freely with a group of like-minded individuals We also had a healing space in Kappa's and we had an alumni who um, also has a podcast and she is a professional um, like life coach and story coach and she led us through like a few exercises and gave us really amazing tips and um, you know things we can actually do to help us heal Um, and it was really refreshing to have these conversations especially with like the sisters in my sorority because you know, yeah, we talk about deep stuff and we have cultural events, but we don't often engage in a full conversation like mm-hmm. this um, at an extended for an extended period of time. Yeah. So that's really good. Yeah. 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 Another thing that um, we wanted to touch on very briefly is 
you know, we mentioned the BLM movement a little bit, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of nuances within the Asian community and anti-blackness. So we won't dive too much into it, but we did want to acknowledge it because, you know, this year has just been not great for yeah. both communities. And it's clear that it is time for us to step up and support each other. Mm-hmm. But there are some historical cultural values that make that hard for some people to do. So we'll definitely link some resources in the show notes Mm -hmm. to read up on that. Um, And yeah, please look at the links there. Um, It's really important to like educate yourself on an individual level, like we said earlier, and your friends and to be open to the conversations Mm -hmm. and questions that um, might come up. And definitely approaching with a mindset of education and empathy rather than attack and anger. And, like, Mm -hmm. maintaining a level of respect is really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. Um, And, like, in a racist altercation, make sure to always evaluate your safety. Um, We are kind of talking about, like, in a situation where someone says something racist to you, is it worth it to talk Mm -hmm. back to them? And I think it's really about being aware of the situation and judging it from there you're not less worthy because you didn't talk back yes you do what is needed for your safety Mm -hmm. and I think I really needed to be reminded of that because sometimes after a racist comment I'm like dang it I should have said something but and I make myself feel guilty about it but you know it's also with like safety and being a woman Mm -hmm. always evaluate the situation and don't guilt yourself yeah yeah And then like we kind of mentioned earlier, seek local Asian affinity groups and Mm -hmm. find a sense of community. You know, like we're very fortunate. We're in a college environment Mm -hmm. where we have these amazing spaces like church and clubs and sororities and stuff like that. But those exist in the real world, too. There are um, affinity groups Mm -hmm. and organizations that you can be a part of. to give you a sense of community and a belonging wherever you are. Yeah. Even leaning into family. Yeah, exactly. So we really wanted to kind of dive a little bit into more of a gratitude piece in this podcast Mm -hmm. um, because since this topic is just very serious, we want to remind ourselves of the moments in our lives that we're grateful for. Mm Um, And we kind of want to reflect and share that with you guys. Yeah. So this is a new segment called Moments of Gratitude. And so, yeah, we'll just reflect a little bit on what we are happy about in our lives. And I just wanted to start out and acknowledge my privilege. You know, like I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to attend Northeastern and Mm -hmm. live the life I'm living, have the community that I have because not everyone has that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm so, so grateful that you know, I have my family to support me through this financially and I am safe. I have, we have a great apartment. Like I love our house yeah. and it's just something that I really don't want to take for granted and something that, um, you know, privilege is very important to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. And um, on a little bit of a lighter note, I'm really grateful for the weather that is picking up and that we're able to stay safe and enjoy the weather. Um you know, within our limits and safety within COVID. But I'm just grateful that while we did discuss a lot of fear of going outside, um, I still feel generally safe mm-hmm. when I go out. Yeah. So 
I am really grateful for my supportive community, people who always have my back and are always there to hear me no matter what happens. Um, And I've been writing this a lot in my gratitude journal, but I'm always grateful for my home Mm -hmm. and our apartment. It is so great and Mm -hmm. I just feel so comfortable here and I think I think I'm so lucky for that yeah and I take it for granted way too much Mm -hmm. especially hot showers because sometimes our shower goes cold and now when I have hot showers I'm so grateful because I'm like some people have to shower in the cold every day Mm -hmm. and that's such a small thing but a good reminder a roof you know when it's Mm -hmm. raining um, the movie Parasite oh like, my gosh, changed yeah. my perspective. Like when it's raining, we're like, oh, it's so cozy. Yeah. But then when people who don't have a home, that's like mm-hmm. the worst day mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I am generally feel like I'm safe, mm-hmm. I'm privileged, and mm-hmm. I don't need to like fear for my life constantly. And so that is a big privilege. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So as usual, we want to give some tangible things for you all to take away so our life hack this week um unfortunately things until things get better in our society we need to know how to protect ourselves so we wanted to go over a few safety precautions you can take so um i mentioned this briefly about like earphones and stuff but definitely not to look at your phone while you're walking i'm very guilty of this but Mm -hmm. Staying alert, staying aware of your surroundings. Um, yep. Don't listen to music. If you have to, put one fo- earphone in. Don't mm-hmm. put both. Or if you have, like, the headphones that go over your ears, lift it off one ear mm-hmm. so that you can always hear your surroundings. Yep. Um, and, like, walking with confidence and don't be timid. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I have quickly adopted, like, since coming to college. Yeah. People always ask me, like, why are you walking so fast? Yeah. Like, firstly, I do have places to be. Yeah. But secondly, <laughs> it's like, I do not let anyone on the street even take a second glance at me because yeah. I need to go. Like, or I even can't. get the chance to talk to exactly. you. Like, I don't want to talk to exactly. you. Exactly, yeah. And it's sad that's, like, kind of our immediate reaction, but yeah. Um, another thing is to lock your car immediately after getting in. This is common sense, but actually mm-hmm. people do forget this often. If you're, you know, in a chill mood and you're kind of just in your yeah. car. Um, robbery is common. Um, so don't place your bags on the passenger seat in the back or in the back seat if you're in your car. Mm-hmm. Especially as a woman, that's very important. Yeah. Um, another tip we kind of searched up was run, yell, tell. So if you're being attacked by someone just drop everything and run Mm -hmm. start yelling and then go tell someone yeah another thing is to trust your gut um i've had been having to work on this a lot more because i think as a girl as a woman you want to be nice to people around you Mm -hmm. like if someone you want to be polite if someone's asking you a question like oh where where do i go here if you don't feel safe in the situation just leave you don't owe that person anything and that's super important to understand because in a situation like that, sometimes it could get dangerous really mm-hmm. quickly. Like, maybe they have different motives. Yeah. So if your gut is telling you, this doesn't feel right right now, yeah. just be like, sorry, I can't. You don't owe that person yeah. anything. No, I totally agree. That's something I also struggled with, especially dog walking. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to tell people about the dog I was walking. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, like, what yeah. kind of dog is that? Or like, oh. And most of the time it was well-intended, mm-hmm. but one time it actually did turn into, like, mm-hmm. kind of an uncomfortable situation yeah. where I bumped into the same person three times that day. Wow. And I was like, this is definitely not a coincidence. Yeah. And he kept asking me, like, oh, you know, like, you should walk me next time. No, and no, I was no. like, 
Uh, no. Ew, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> anyway. Um, so another thing is if you're a bystander, so if you see someone is in a like dangerous situation, if you feel like you can't interfere, immediately pull out your phone and start recording what's happening because that will be evidence for whatever is going on. So take pictures, record, um, get the audio. Anything can help in that situation. And another is to cause commotion. Draw attention to that place. Mm-hmm. Alert anyone else nearby that could provide assistance. Yeah. yeah. So we know this episode was a little bit different than our others. However, you know, this is a very necessary conversation to have. Um, And we hope that you can take something away from this and do your own research afterward. You know, this is definitely not the end-all be-all. There's so much more to learn. This was a lot of our personal experiences. Um, And we really hope that uh, everyone listening is staying safe and healthy. So thank you for tuning into our podcast episode. We'd love to hear from you, so be sure to leave a review wherever you get your podcast from. You can check us out on Instagram at barelyadulting.pod. We'll talk to you later.